sometimes in fun Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. Uh, I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> I'm Tony, actually. I'm Carl. I'm Marianne. Charlene. I'm Babu. I'm Giovanna. I'm Alex. I'm Grace. I'm Ronan. I'm Jay. And I'm Luke. I'm Jack. Hello. And we have a slightly larger than usual panel this week, as you may have noticed, because this is our second anniversary show. And what we figure is we spent 100 hours and 31 minutes over the past year talking about films, myself and Andrew. So we thought what we might do is we might invite some of our guests back to have a bit of a natter about the year that's been in film. So thank you very much, everybody, for being here. Um, we are recording in a pub, so the audio quality may not be up to the high standards that it usually is, just as a heads up. Um, we also have two guests who are joining us remotely as well, so uh, they'll be ended in as well. Uh, but we're going to start, we're going to ask four questions of our guests to get us sort of a sense of where film is in 2018 and sort of hope that serves as a bit of a jumping off point. So the first question we're going to ask is the film, the list has had a number of new entries uh, this year, um, and which of those new entries uh, is your personal favourite? Well... I think my favourite isn't necessarily what a lot of people would say is the best, but I'm go- I'm gonna go <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with Mission Impossible Fallout because I loved that film. That film is the only film I think I've been back to the cinema to see more than once. In I can't even remember, but it might may- maybe Star Trek 2009. I might have seen that more than once at the cinema. Because it was Star Trek and it was coming back. I think so. I don't go more than... And I, you know, I, I do re-watch movies, but I don't go more than once. I just don't. I just don't have the time and I don't have the impetus. I want to watch new things or I want to watch the older movies that I haven't seen and things like that. But this, I saw it in um, IMAX. Absolutely loved it. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and do the, the gimmick that is 4DX. Because <sighs> <laughs> I, I really like 4DX for certain things. Mm. It's stupid, it's silly, but I have a good laugh. <laughs> How was it for Fallout? Oh, oh, it was amazing. Like, <laughs> the the sequence, my favourite sequence in the movie, which is the um, plummeting through the Paris mm, skyline yeah. while Henry Cavill gets struck by lightning and <laughs> Tom Cruise has to resuscitate him, like, in midair, is brilliant. Like, it, absolutely brilliant in 4DX. It, I think it's a great sequence anyway. Um, I just, it's just so good, like, so fun. So unexpected. I mean, I knew it'd be good because it's Chris McQuarrie, and they've got a formula with Mission Impossible now in that it, it kind of keeps getting better, pretty much. But I didn't expect it to be like Christopher McQuarrie meets with Christopher Nolan, and then have such joie de vivre about it, and just be really have a, a really great score. I thought as well, everything about it I thought was really, really good, way better than I expected. So I'm really glad it's on the um, the top two fifty because I I, I think. It's probably my second or third favorite movie of the year. Wow, that's pretty impressive. All right, so Carl, what about yourself? Yeah, well, when I looked down the list of these new entries, it didn't take me long to decide at all, to be honest. And my choice is also Mission Impossible Fallout. Yes, good lads. Yeah. Which, good lads. <laughs> which I just thought was fantastic. And uh, one of the reasons is that I'm really into star vehicles, basically, you know, films that allow a star to kind of do their thing in like a you know a genre setting or whatever and i don't think you could construct a better star vehicle for tom cruise than mission impossible fallout and it's interesting i think because 
in some ways as an action star i think cruz is kind of an anomaly uh, you know he's, he's a comparable age to somebody like liam neeson but i think cruz has like maintained his youthful persona and it, it kind of carries over into this film too i mean there's a little bit more vulnerability he seems to take a, a few more licks um but it's still in real life as well as on the screen yeah well this is the thing i mean no matter what you think about cruise and notwithstanding like the mixed fortunes of some of his recent non-mission impossible movies i don't think there's any doubt he's one of the most significant uh stars of like the late 20th century early 21st and as i said i just think this was a marvelous kind of showpiece for him really and uh i would echo everything tony said to, to be honest but um it was just a phenomenal thrill ride, you know. It's um, Roger Ebert used to have a phrase about good date movies would be where you'd kind of grip the arm of your companion. And I kind of had that experience, except I was with my 11-year-old son, so it wasn't quite the same. But <laughs> I just thought, um, I didn't see it twice, but I, I you know, I wanted to, and I'm, I'm desperate to see it again. So I think this, this film really warrants its place on the list. I'm not sure how high up it is, but uh, I think it deserves to be there, I think. It isn't actually currently on it. It dropped off, but I was very, very happy to see it. It was the first Mission Impossible to make the list. Ah. That, that's that's really good. I mean, I, 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 I mean I've even pre-ordered it, like, on Blu-ray. This, this is how much I love this film. I don't even do that very often either. And, I, you know, I can't, wait, I can't wait to watch it again. That final act! That's one of the best final acts of a film I've seen in years. It's so good. Yeah, where it just escalates. Yeah, yeah, just really does. Just Tom Cruise hanging up a of a chopper. Just oh, I love it. It's so good. And and I think I think the thing with it is I don't know. Uh, I, at time, it's too still too early to decide whether it's the best one of all of all six. Uh, you know, I've I've always kind of felt that maybe the best one is the first one, the De Palma one, and I still feel maybe that I don't know, but it's for a sixth film i can't think of a, another sixth film quite honestly that is that good and that sort of that that has got that for an action movie for a big blockbuster has got that much sort of depth and weight to it i can't think of another one well i think the interesting thing is it's kind of a synthesis of the virtues of the all the other films in a sense i mean you've got a, a, a nod back to uh, vanessa redgrave's character from the first film you've got some rock climbing like in mission impossible 2 yeah, you know some of the interpersonal stuff comes back into play, and you've still got the immense sense of propulsion from uh, films four and five as well. So I- I'm tempted to kind of acclaim it as the best one, but I need to see it again. I need a bit of perspective, and uh, I'll-, I'll be getting onto that soon. But no, I mean the- it's a- as a franchise, I think it, it c- continues to get better and better. Because I mean, I really like the De Palma one too, and it doesn't feel like a franchise piece, but. This, these last few uh, installments have been top-notch in my view. Come around, Carl. Watch the Blu-ray with me. The 250, bringing people together. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so, Charlene, what is your favourite film of those newly entered on the list? My favourite is Call Me By Your Name by a million miles. I am sure. Might be my favourite film, like, ever. So. <laughs> in the top 250 of Charlene's films, that's right up there. So, uh, that's my favourite. Um... I mean, I did listen to your podcast about Call Me By Your Name when you, when you discussed it. Um, you know, you're kind of... <laughs> you liked it. We did, yeah. yes. There were true spoilers in it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, lots yeah. and lots of spoilers. But, um, I mean, yeah. if I was in the same screening as you, actually. We did, we waved. Oh, did <laughs> you? To be fair, it was one of the last screenings being held at the Lighthouse. Um, one of the many last One of the many last. <laughs> it's, it's had like 20 There's last screenings there. If anyone wonders if the cinema industry is corrupt, it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I say that that film was ending, it's live. It's and live. It, it sold out as well. Yeah. Uh, Marianne. I, uh... What would be... What's your favourite of this year's new entries? Yeah, let me definitely just look at a list. Um... Oh yeah, so I'm gonna have to echo Charlene and say "Call Me by Your Name" was, but I'm also gonna say I'm not super impressed with the entries this year as a group. But yeah, no, I think "Call Me by Your Name" was a genuinely well-made film that dealt with a pretty difficult topic with like some nuance and some art history. So it's great. <laughs> and some art history. More movies could use some art history. Uh, perfect. Babu, if you were to pick one of the new entries this year. Oh, uh, Three Billboards. That, that was my one of my favourite films. Um, oh, sorry. I, I speak really softly, so... And I'm, I'm really hungry, so I was probably eating loads of food, because we're surrounded by food. Um, <laughs> we could probably make a film about food. Oh, Chef. Was it Chef? That was a really good film. With <laughs> <laughs> John Favreau, yes. Um. Yeah, moving on. Um... The, yeah, the three billboards one was my favourite, I think. Because sometimes you are watching a movie and think, oh, this is really good. And then sometimes you're watching a movie and you realise it's quite special. And I thought this one was quite special. And you could tell from the beginning it was really special. The interaction between um, the sheriff... Oh, Woody Harrelson. And, yeah, and um, the, the main protagonist is brilliant. As well, so, yeah. And, uh, so I, I really loved that film. So Giovanna, same question. Uh, yes, my favorite film uh, of, uh, among the new entries is uh, Coco. It's an animated film about uh, basically um, a kid trying to escape the land of the dead uh, after entering it accidentally during the Dia de los Muertos. And uh, I really love it because uh, it's a very tender and touching story, but uh, even uh, very gripping and very entertaining uh, because uh, the uh, kids uh, has to uh, go through through uh, several ordeals uh, to escape the land of the dead. And then, uh, I mean, uh, visually stunning, it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, all these uh, Mexican graphics of the Dia de los Muertos, the, um, the land of the dead looks uh, fantastic, absolutely, in terms of colors and of details. And the spirit animals that are guiding the, uh, the dead are uh, really stunning. I really love Pepita. Uh, that is uh, like a, a, a cougar with wings, uh, it's fantastic. And then it's a really good way to uh, address the theme of death with children, to, uh, I mean, to make them aware of death in a, a way that is entertaining and also uh, uh, thoughtful. Perfect. So, Alex. My favourite film in the new entries is The Story of an Impossible Mission. <laughs> and a man who has to grapple with a series of emotional and personal crises, many of which have been caused by the introduction of a muscular American jock, all set in a really beautiful European backdrop, and which ultimately kind of concludes with the man having to choose to accept who he really is. I'm talking, of course, of Call Me By Your Name, a wonderful film that everyone has already adopted about and a film that I can't really add anything else to. It was incredible. It just completely knocked me out and is one of my, my favourite films of all time, not just of the year. So. Wow. And Grace. 
Um, this is your fourth vote for Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> I, I really, really love this film. I just think it's a really gorgeous, authentic, very pure look at romance and, and a really sincere connection between two people. Um, I think it's shot beautifully. The story just really resonated with me, and I just, I just think it's lovely. I love it. I watch it over and over again. So that one, easily. And Rona. You will be shocked to know I'm going to chip into this landslide too. <laughs> Call me by your name for me, because I think, especially on something like the Top 250, it does something uh, important, which is that queer narratives, when they have reached into the mainstream, have always been tragically oriented. And what this does is sort of repositions queer narratives. Uh, it, it is a tragic narrative, but it reclaims that. It, so it allows queer narratives to be tragic while not making them, you know excessively maudlin you know there is happiness there and there is the realisation that you can get something back from these uh, so yeah no no question here it's not a hard choice and Jay um, yeah I kind of echo Marianne saying it's not the greatest list of new entries I've ever seen <laughs> to say the least um, but weirdly after going through it I've actually gone for uh, Avengers Infinity War wow. <laughs> sorry to be the outlier <laughs> I'm just, just kind of disappointed with quite a lot of the films that are. Cowboy Name is probably as close as I get to phone on it, but I probably need to see it again. I did like it, but I didn't love it as much as everybody else. Permission Avengers Infinity War kind of surprised me. It was. I suspect the kind of how it went will be resolved next year and probably won't have the same impact when you get it. But I thought it was really interesting blockbuster, and one that was very well put together, and uh, it kind of surprised me. It's the one that. Well, particularly at the blockbuster, the ones that are here, it uh, it didn't disappoint or actually impressed me more than the others, which were kind of more kind of uh, talked about, such as Mission Impossible or whatever like that, that were kind of rated quite highly, which were disappointing. But uh, yeah, go Infinity War. But I will kind of put a caveat that I don't think it's the greatest list of new entries I've ever seen. Or the ninth greatest film of all time. It's certainly not that. Uh, I think we can all agree. It's yeah. not not. It, it, well, it climbed well, to we're 22 nine. now, I think. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Some comfort there. According to the fan side, I started off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Luke. Well, I was going to say Avengers Infinity War, sarcastically, which uh, shows... <laughs> wow. We're... So, uh, sorry, Jay. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, I would go for Call Me By Your Name as well. I think if you're looking at the IMDb list itself as, like... And it's not, but as a list of the greatest movies of all time, there are so many sequences and, and moments uh, and subtle moments in Call Me By Your Name that you're going to look back at again and again and again, probably at the lighthouse. <laughs> you, you know, like Michael Stillmark's monologue or just Timothy Chalamet kind of at the end, kind of crying over the credits. These are moments that you're going to look back, you're going to think back on and go, Do you know, I want to watch that again now. Yeah. And you're going to pop it on. Um, I really think it's going to stand the test of time in that way. I thought it was just beautiful and, and really great. Cool. Um, and Jack, if you were to pick one of the new entries uh, this year, which one would be your favourite? Uh, probably Coco. Sorry, probably Coco. Um, big fan of animation, so it's the only one on the... Oh, bar the Incredibles, sorry. That's, see, the Incredibles would be the... I don't know, maybe it's the sort of thing where it's like, whenever something's a success, it's like, well, therefore it must have a sequel. So I've kind of got that vibe. I must admit, I haven't seen the second one. Has anyone seen the second one? It's good. It's yes. solid. It's solid, but doesn't do anything that the first didn't originally achieve. Okay, cool. You know. 
I think I liked it the most out of, oh, oh. Uh, out, of out of the four of us who who, who saw it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, so we'll move on and ask the second question then, which is, if you saw a movie this year, it, it can be any movie that you saw for the first time this year. It doesn't have to be uh, something that was released this year, and it goes back to last November, that you could choose to put on the list. What would it be? For me, it's quite easy, and it's the glaring superhero Marvel omission on this list, which is Black Panther. Black Panther, I think, is one of the best MCU movies. I thought it was better than Infinity War. I think it's... By a shade better than Ragnarok, even though Ragnarok is so good, so good, and one of the best Marvel movies ever as well. So I'm glad that's on that list. Uh, and Infinity was great in many ways as well. But I, um, I think, uh, is a tenth best movie of all time great, Tony? To reopen an old debate that we had. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Well, that's a big can of worms. There we got um, different podcast. Yeah, it's a different podcast. <laughs> um, and I hope I'm coming back for the Infinity War Part Two one because we need to dig into that. Really, um, did we ever check that whether Thanos disintegrated you? Because I think that may determine the. Yeah, I know. We need to find out if Thanos killed me. I don't think he did. Actually, few. That's a, <laughs> otherwise I'm speaking from the afterlife. This really is a podcast where no one's gone before. Uh, but yeah, Black Panther is, is so good. Ryan Coogler really took a you know a lesser known marvel property like you know people like john favreau did with iron man and you know to some extent um the russos did with captain america certainly in the uk anyway and really has made black panther just for me the the character that should be the center of this whole enterprise going forward for the next maybe 10 years i thought that film was was moving i thought it was brilliantly put together i thought it was deep I thought it was an incredible score, probably my favourite score of the year. Uh, I thought it was a real great fusion of like James Bond with black exploitation, with um, you know the, the the sort of '90s rap era, with you know pure superhero magic, and I just I, and you know an African mysticism and all these different things put together. Which in it, when you say all those things, putting them in a pot, you think what the hell? But it works so well, and I can't wait to see that character. Um, for for a second film, and it was and it, crucially it makes sense that Wakanda played such a big part in Infinity War because it made such an impression. And Carl, what about yourself? Well, in terms of what I've seen of the cinema this year, I don't think I would have like demurred if uh, Phantom Thread had been on the list, Ooh. but I don't think it is, is it? That's a good choice. Um, no, it's not. Oh, okay. But I'm not going to choose that. I'm going to choose it's the still film. It's a good choice, Carl. <laughs> I'm going to choose. Yeah. <laughs> I like that sharp, well, sharp I- left turn there. <laughs> Uh, that's the one I was most surprised wasn't on the list, I think. But the, the one, the film that most surprised me when I sat down to see it at the cinema this year was Game Night. You know, because I, I don't think I'd heard much about it. I'd seen the poster. I don't think I'd seen, even seen a trailer. I just sat down. I knew, I, I'd heard it was getting some good notices. And I just thought it was a magnificent kind of studio comedy, really. And it continually kept me kind of, um, kept blindsided me. And I, I, have you seen it, Tony? I haven't yet. I keep hearing great things about Game Night. And it's one of them I'm waiting to pop up on Sky. Yeah, I'd say go into it blind, you know, try and avoid any kind of plot details uh, as best you can because um, I, I felt it was, you know, continually surprising, but just, um, you know, genuinely funny, you know, some great turns by people like Kyle, Kyle Chandler and Jesse Plemons plays this kind of... Uh, um, Plemons is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah he plays the, the neighbour of the uh, protagonist. And he was just, whenever he was on screen, he, he was fantastic. And... Um, 
so game night i don't know if i would i don't know if i'd put it on a list of the top 250 films of all time but i don't think i'd begrudge it if it had somehow snuck into the list you know yeah a shameful confession here as like a cinephile game night sits at number 10 at my like at my top 10 of the the films that i've seen so far this year i, I was also just blown away by it i expected absolutely nothing and it turned into this gigantic david fincher homage to a you know a movie that most david fincher fans you know most fincher fans remember but don't remember especially fondly and most people who are going to the cinema have no idea that this is a homage to a movie that was released more than a de- more than two decades ago at this point yeah and i think the thing is that i like i talked a little bit about tom cruise and star vehicles and i just want to sing the praises a little of rachel mcadams who i think is a phenomenal actress uh, a genuinely like captivating star and i'm, I'm not sure she's um continually been well served with material you know in the kind of film she's ended up in but uh this is like a happy exception i think she was she was fantastic and this is the kind of film that i would hope that you know i believe the film did well commercially i wouldn't be at all sad to see this kind of um you know inspire some kind of imitators or you know um this kind of i don't know what the budget was but let's call it a mid mid uh, budget studio comedy I, i'd like to see more of these so so uh, yeah game night would be my choice so charlene <laughs> well this is interesting because i was 100 percent phantom thread and then thought i might want to put in mandy um, <laughs> that will get quite a reaction at the table, I, I imagine. I feel like Phantom Thread is like, for the love of God, put in Phantom Thread. Absolutely. God's sake. Um, it makes no sense. I also really no. love Mandy, and I think it's probably a bit of an underdog for <laughs> the um, But I, I, I will, I'll take that to my grave, I'll argue that one. But, I, yeah, that, can I pick two? Ah, go on. Phantom Thread and Mandy. <laughs> and, perfect. So, Marianne? Um, so... Good movie here, so a lot of good stuff. But actually, looking at what uh, arrived on the 250 this year, and also, like, I always try to think of it in terms of, like, what popular movie did I see this year that did not get the recognition it deserved. And I think my most enjoyable cinema experience this year was Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. And it was because I've been going on a big rom-com bender recently just like going back to all my old faves and I was kind of like when was the last time I saw a really solid rom-com and Crazy Rich Asians it's I mean it's a very standard story poor girl rich guy she has to win over his family but it's really funny it's really opulent there's quite a lot of depth to it even though the story is like fairly standard and it was just kind of joyous. It was like amazing performances from Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh. And I was just, yeah, I was just like, this is like a classic rom-com. And it's been so long since I've seen a classic rom-com that wasn't a classic rom-com. rom-com. Yeah. So, and it was done very, very well. Yeah. It's all done It's so much fun. <laughs> Perfect. So, Babu, if you saw a film this year that isn't on the list already that you could put on there, what would it be? Um, I would say that uh, there was a really good film out this year. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I think it was called Michael Inside. Yes. A small Irish film. Um, we were lucky enough to go to a Q&A with the, the director, and it, it was fascinating the length of time it took to, to write it. Um, a lot of the, um, the actors that appear in the film are never acted before. Some of them were people that took part in the research were actually ex-offenders and they had 
you know, like they they'd been in prison and they were playing prison guards in in the film, so that was kind of interesting. And I, I thought it was a brilliant story because it was very subtle, just about a, a normal guy who wasn't really a criminal, but he got caught up in it. And then it shows how he goes inside and it changes him, and then he comes outside, it commits a, a crime, and then goes back inside. And it just shows how a very simple, ordinary person who's not really a career cr- criminal somehow like gets dragged down and into it, and then you know that that's his life now for the next 10, 15 years, you know, so it's, it's a shame, but it's it's very subtle, you don't need a lot of money to make it, um, but it was just shot brilliantly, kind of almost documentary style to a certain extent, and some of the performances I think it was uh, one of the main characters Mo Dunford, Mo Dunford yeah, he's I mean, quite amazing. here, yeah, yeah Mo 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 this year, yeah and he's incredible and I, I really think that and the other guy at the Q&A the, the guy who's the main actor Daphne Flynn Daphne Flynn he's just he's very very in real life he looks tiny yeah you know but on screen he looks like he could become like a star um, I think in the next couple of years so that would that's what I would say so Giovanna if you could pick one film you saw this year that you think belongs on the list of the 250 best movies ever made uh, the film I would pick is uh, uh, Sanju by Rajkumar Irani. It's a, uh, an Indian film, a Bollywood film, and uh, basically is uh, telling the uh, real story of uh, this controversial um, uh, Bollywood actor called uh, Sanjay Dutt, who was born in a film of uh, in a family of uh, film stars. Uh, like uh, his um, father was a famous director, and his mother was Nargis, uh, who is uh, a very famous um, uh, actress who starred. In uh, one of the uh, in the f- first actually uh, film that uh, um, was uh, nominated for an Oscar Indian film uh, Mother India, and uh, basically uh, the film shows how he uh, struggled with his uh, very demanding father and uh, with um, uh, drugs uh, and uh, how he was accused of uh, being associated with acts of terrorism in uh, Bombay because uh, he purchased he held a gun, wasn't there yes uh, he purchased on the black market some guns that were used in one of these bombing attacks uh, occurred in uh, Bombay in uh, 1993 and um, he went to jail because of that and um, so basically the film shows um, his uh, life story uh, without um, um, uh, depicting a rosy vision of uh, his life uh, with the words and all and uh, he shows uh, um, no um, excuses for him he doesn't try to justify his choices but um Basically, the film, even if uh, it's quite uh, dramatic, it's also full of uh, entertaining parts like um, song sequences, uh, dance, uh, and uh, the, the story is really gripping and uh, it's, um, it's really entertaining but also meaningful at the same time and uh, that's why I think it should uh, belong in the top uh, 250. Perfect. And Alex? Sure. Um, the one I'd probably pick is The Square by Ruben. Ostland, who I spent so long thinking about. I think this is the film that I picked. You know, obviously, Call Me By Your Name already mentioned, and that should go in there. But this was another one that kind of, like, had me thinking for a long time. And it's a really interesting film. It's a film that you can laugh at without calling it a funny film. It's a film that kind of walks between, just about between, like, being alienating and then kind of being, like, enveloping and interesting. But then sometimes it gets a little bit too alienating, but then it's trying to do that. 
and its sort of story is very simple. It's just about a, an art gallery director and a sort of terrible week in his life. But it's so funny, and it, it manages to... And a lot of people criticize it for trying to do too much. And it does a little bit, but I also think it captures quite a lot of things, and it satirizes things so well, and really then has a... It sort of builds to this really horrific scene. Um, but it works, and it works, I think, in a lot of other films that kind of achieve that kind of balance don't really work. And also in 2018, it's kind of cool to see a satire that really works as a satire and doesn't like stray too far into one thing or the other. So yeah, I'd pick the square. Perfect. And Grace? Um, I think for me this year I'd pick Lady Bird, um, which I absolutely adore. Like I'm just, Anyone who knows me I suppose has heard me talking about this endlessly for months, but um, I just love the way the story is told in Lady Bird. I think there's such a lightness and a grace to it, and the way it represents a female perspective in such an unjudgmental um, really breezy way. I just love the way the story comes together and everything about it just works for me. Like, there's no excess in it. Everything is just neat and it, it just comes together so gorgeously. So, I would add Lady Bird. <laughs> and Ronan? I think my choice has previously been there, but uh, I'm railing against trends. So, get the red shoes back, goddammit. <laughs> uh, I saw it for the first time this year and it's wonderful. Like all Powell and Pressburgers, it's this incredible use of colour, the way they have, you know, staging of the film. It's, it's incredible. It's just this astounding cinematic experience. I really wish I had seen it on a big screen. But uh, it's it's right up there with the best of theirs. Like that and Black Narcissus for me are, are the absolute best. For the record, it was only in for four months between June and October uh, two thousand and nine. Two thousand and nine. Yeah. Oh well, it's been too long. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that's uh, by far the best new film to me this year. I think um, it's it's astonishing. Perfect. And Jay, um, I similar to Marianne's uh, rom com bender. I went on a filmstruck bender because I'd managed to gain access to it. So. I've seen a lot of our older films this year that I shamefully have never seen, so I've been kind of catch-up, a never-ending catch-up of films. And I almost went for uh, Jimmy's The Unbreaded Cherbourg, which is absolutely astounding. But uh, in the end, I went for The Cranes of Flying, which is uh, Mikhail Kalatsov's 1958 Pandor winner, uh, Russian war film. It's one of those films that, when you think about kind of war films, that it's going to be, and particularly kind of the Eastern Front, it's going to be grim and it's going to be miserable. And to some degree, that, that exists in it, but it, it's beyond that. It's uh, there's some beautiful, absolutely stunning camera work, really virtuoso stuff. Um, the use of focus, light, and shadow is just like top drawer, kind of as good as you'll ever see in any film. And it's just, it's kind of a sad love story kind of in it, but it's kind of obviously overcome by war for various different reasons. You won't print it, but. There's a, it's just an absolute heartbreaking, beautiful masterpiece. Which you know, again, similar to what Rowan said, Rescues, I'd love seeing the big screen, <coughs> Charlene. Um, but um, if only a, there were somebody here. Yeah, <laughs> make these things happen. But um, it's it's wonderful, and if anybody hasn't seen it, could see it. I would recommend it to us. Absolutely, it's a standard film. Perfect. And Luke. Uh, so in terms of stuff that came out this year, I really uh, came out this year in Ireland. Anyway, I kind of really had two that I struggled to decide between. Uh, so either Phantom Thread, which I found magnificent. Phantom Thread is the default other choice, it seems. Well, it's a it's a good all-rounder, <laughs> in a way. Um, I find the characters in it really interesting. It kind of covers a lot of what you would like to see when you go to the movies. You know, it's funny, it's got interesting characters, it's beautifully shot. And it's it's something that, again, I think you can watch again and again and find more in uh, the more that you watch it. 
So I really enjoyed that one. Uh, and then the other one between the two I couldn't pick between was uh, You Were Never Really Here, which I was really surprised to see didn't get on the list at all. Um, you know, I'd really like to see that film find its, its audience because that was possibly my most kind of haunting cinema experience of the year. I remember seeing it at Diff and just kind of not being able to get out of my seat for a couple of minutes afterwards. It really kind of blew me away. Um, and, you know, it, it's just all the more galling when you know that the Joker movie will probably be <laughs> number nine on this list sometime next year. <laughs> uh, but this is, you know, the true great Joaquin Phoenix performance. I mean, he's, he's got quite a few, but I think he's just brilliant and sad and, and wonderful in this. And uh, it just made me think about, you know, because I was like, why is this not on the list? And you look at the kinds of films that do get on it and you know so many of them are wonderful but I don't know if this film's approach to violence and its view on violence and the people who commit violence and why um, I don't know if it makes maybe your usual IMDb voter too uncomfortable to, to kind of put it up there uh, with well, it, it declines to show a lot of the violence um, I true think what Luke's sort of getting up there and it um, so it kind of withholds certain things from the audience and, that. and I don't know if maybe that was off-putting to people but uh, between those two I can't pick I'm very decisive <laughs> we have both <laughs> perfect and Jack if you were to pick a movie that you saw this year that isn't on the list uh, what would it be? Um, Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson um, it was again another animated piece um, it's sort of a classic Wes Anderson film in the fact that it's sort of quirky uh, it's got a great cast you know it's, it's got some interesting musical pieces in it uh, the whole concept's a bit odd in itself uh, it's about um, lots of dogs well, all the dogs are trying to get banished to an island Japan. Uh, Japan. Japan, big pun. And uh, then obviously this boy goes to rescue them. Uh, his, his lost dog. And uh, it's just a quick little story and I enjoyed it. And uh, one of the things that really put me onto it was that after I'd watched it, a couple of months later, I saw uh, a clip on YouTube of how they made it, and particularly how they made all the dogs and all of the figures. And that made me really love it because when you see how much effort went into it and how much craft went into it and how much of people's lives and soul went into it. It just made me love it a lot because I thought, wow, it's actually part of their lives. Like It's like when you learn about how they made the Star Troys in Star Wars. such an iconic thing to see. And then you think about how they made and you learn about how they wired it all. I don't know why, it just made everything seem a lot more profound for me and generally made the film a bit more interesting to me post-watching it. Um, and I just think it's because of the, the fact that there's all these people that worked in it and that's part of their lives now, you know, and that's, I thought it was quite special. So that, that's why I liked it. Perfect. So then the next question we're going to ask involves the bottom 100, which the IMDb changed radically in June to fill it with films that people had actually seen. Um, and it's a much more fun list, a much more interesting list, a much more playful list. Uh, so we thought we'd ask people to pick their favourite guilty pleasure on the list. Right, well... Uh, <laughs> this list... <laughs> First off, damn you... Damn you, Darren, for, for making me look at this list and have to try and answer this question. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. Oh, my God. And you know what, right? There, there, is, there are way too many films on here that I've seen. I have seen more films on this list than the other one, than the other one right? The one at the top. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's a terrible admission. My instinct, my instinct at first was to go with The Room, the Tommy Wiseau film, which, you know, I think he's great fun. 
especially if you watch it with an audience. You know, I, I've seen it with the audience where they throw spoons and they do all the "You're killing me, Lisa" stuff. And you know, it's it's a great laugh. Um, my, one of my favourite experiences was watching it, introducing it to a bunch of my mates, <laughs> four of whom loved it, and one of whom thought it was the worst thing he'd ever seen and didn't get it at all. <laughs> like it was, it was so good. Even to this day, he says rubbish, rubbish. Don't like it. And he's he's not a big like film analysis guy. He's very much a guy of I like it or I don't like it. He's like rubbish. Don't get it. Anyway, um, but I'm not going to go with the room. I'm going to go with the 1998 adaptation of the avengers um not not the marvel one obviously the the 1960s um you know kitsch spy thriller uh series from peel and steed right um Pe- peel and steed emma peel john steed um diana regan patrick Mooney in the original uh and in this case it's uh ray fines and um Blesser Uma Thurman, who had a hell of a run of years in the late eight, late nineties. I think this might be the same year or the year after uh, Batman and Robin, which could have easily made this this list as well for purely for Arnie and the whole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone, chill. You know that kind of stuff. You're not uh, sending me to the cooler. You're sending me to the cooler, right? <laughs> but I I think what sells the Avengers for me, and I think I can sum up the whole thing in one choice, um, you know, sentence. And the reason that I could watch it again and again and again, and I really enjoy it, is simply this. Sir Sean Connery, dressed as a bear. <laughs> so that's it, really. i got nothing else. <laughs> Sometimes that's enough, Tony. Sometimes that's enough. That's enough. My favourite film actor of all time, because Connery probably is my favourite film actor of all time, dressed as a bear, attempted to take over the world. I, I don't know what more you want from a film, really, to be honest. Uh, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Carl, follow that. Top that, Carl. Right. Good luck. Well, yeah. The, to my internal shame, or maybe it's to my credit, I don't know. I haven't seen all that many films off this list, I must confess. We're talking no more than 10, certainly. So That's because you're a proper film fan and you actually watch good movies. <laughs> like, I spend my time watching things like, you know, Police Academy Mission to Moscow, and I pretend that I have a yeah. knowledge of movies. <laughs> well, there's actually an interesting point here, which is I think a film... If you see a, a certain type of film at a certain point in your life, they can actually kind of serve a purpose that if you you know if you have, if you have a childhood favorite, let's say, and you go back many years later, it might not you know work for you in quite the same way. So with some films, it's almost a good idea to leave them in the past. I think. I feel like we're reliving. I feel like we're reliving a childhood trauma here for Carl. <laughs> yeah. Well, my choice is the 1996 American thriller. Barb Wire, starring <laughs> Pamela Anderson. And uh, Tony, I mean, you're a similar age to me. I, I mean, do you remember when Channel 5 started broadcasting in the mid to late 1990s? And their like, evening schedules were just like, you know, Shannon Tweed films and Emmanuel movies and stuff like Barb Wire. Do you remember that? I don't know what you're talking about, Carl. I'd never watched anything like that when I was a teenager. What the very idea? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, this came along, I was probably about 13, and I would watch all these kind of films, and Barb Wire, I just remember enjoying, and, you know, I'm almost certain that I'd go back and watch it in 2018 or whatever, and it wouldn't, you know, I'm a much or less, uh, or a slightly less shallow person now, and uh, I'm sure it's not a good film. (laughs) Although, what I've just discovered from looking at the Wikipedia entry is it's actually, the film set in 2017, 
during the Second American Civil War, which I thought was interesting. So maybe it's kind of prescient. <laughs> and, uh, I like the argument that barbed wire is the movie of our times. <laughs> it, may, it may well be. And the other thing I didn't know at the time, uh, apparently it's effectively a remake of Casablanca, which... <laughs> I'll tell you that what? that completely passed me by in 1996. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I think we can put this down to cover this on the Movie Palace Pod in about 40 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when I'm really running out of ideas. Yeah. Um, sadly, Pamela Anderson's film career—I don't think—really took off, did it? I mean, it looks like she was nominated for Razzies and stuff like that. So, Barb Wire—do I leave it in the past or do I give it a go? I'm not sure. Do I watch it again? Yes. Of course. Right, you're spending way too much time watching, like, Hitchcock movies and classic noir, right? You need to, you need to get on some, you know, Pammy in a... <laughs> Pammy kicking ass. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, you need some, uh, whatever, some carbohydrates with your cinematic protein. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think The Avengers might be a better movie. But who knows? I really don't know if it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlene. Yeah, the room... There's three. <laughs> the Room, because I have had many good nights watching The Room. The thing that bothers me about The Room is that usually uh, the bad films that I enjoy are ones that I feel were made with, like, passion. And I feel like that was just made with fuck, madness or something. I don't know. Um, and then I would also like to represent for Police Academy, because I love Police Academy movies. But the only one in the bottom 100 is the worst one, which is Mission to Moscow. <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> uh, but I would still be very happy to watch Police Academy Mission to Moscow. So that's my guilty pleasure one. So Marianne, if you have a film on the bottom 100 as it stands now that you would consider a guilty pleasure, what would it be? Um, so Darren, I looked at the bottom 100 list for the first time yesterday... And didn't recognize most of the stuff on it, but when I saw Hercules in New York, I made a noise. <laughs> that, so, can I just tell a story, I guess? Yeah. So when we were, I was young, we were teenagers, we're like, we're never going to die. We have time to watch Hercules in New York five times. We used, to, we used to do a film club thing where we just watched the worst movies we could find. And Hercules in New York became our our favourite. Uh, I could not, at gunpoint, describe the plot, but it's about three hours long. It's extremely long. It is Arnold Schwarzenegger before he could speak English, uh, just running around New York in his underwear, oiled up. Like, there was just, like, there was a full team oiling that situation. And there's an absolutely iconic scene where he is fighting a bear in Central Park that is just uncontroversially a man in a gorilla costume who's properly, like, throwing left hooks. And it's it's amazing. So, yeah, I haven't seen it in years, but what a great film. <laughs> what a great launch pad for the governor of California. <laughs> so, Babu, if there was a film on the bottom 100 that you would watch as a guilty pleasure, what would it be? It's the film that hasn't I haven't seen yet. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so excited by it because I looked at the list and I thought, I haven't seen that one yet and I want to see it. Nobody told me it was there. And that uh, Escape Plan 2. Oh, Hades. <laughs> yeah. I watched it. It's pretty terrible. And you see, the first one I really loved, it was kind of like a very small film, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think Sylvester Stallone, and uh, it was great. Oh, and the sheep. 
No, no, no. They're, they're not back in jail. There's a That's Chinese action star who's back in jail oh, because no. this is being modeled for the Eastern They're trying to escape into prison. Yeah, that, that's actually quite literally the plot. Well done there, Brandon. <laughs> I know Sly. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's something. I, I, I want to see... I, I was speaking to a colleague of mine who's into these gratuitously violent action movies, just like me, and uh, he goes, yeah, I, I downloaded it and uh, I fell asleep twice. So <laughs> I haven't quite watched it all, but... Ray for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I still want to see it. I, I just want to see it. I think I think that's on the DVD cover. And, and I think it's only like 2018. So it was yeah, it's new. It's the latest entry. Yeah. Um, it'll probably be squeezed off by Slenderman in the next week or so. But I don't think it <laughs> and it's disappointing. It wasn't even. It didn't come to the cinema. Why not? Um, it went to video on demand. Who is demand? Perfect. So Giovanna, of the bottom 100, which film is your guilty pleasure? Uh, my guilty pleasure would be Race Three. It's, uh, again, a Bollywood film with uh, Salman Khan. And, uh, um, I mean, uh, it's a typical Bollywood film, uh, like in the worst sense of the word. <laughs> uh, no, meaning that, uh, you know, the uh, narrative uh, doesn't make much sense. Uh, it's constituted uh, mainly by set pieces uh, that are aimed at uh, entertaining uh, through um, violent uh, fights and uh, car chases and sexy dances. Uh, and uh, it has all these uh, macho swagger and uh, sassy women and uh, ruthless uh, gangsters and uh, uh, I mean it's, uh, it, it's not a good film uh, <laughs> <according> to, <laughs> no I, uh, I mean I understand that uh, for uh, western standards it's not a, a good film but uh, for Bollywood standard, it has all the elements of a Bollywood film like but it's uh, still rubbish even by Bollywood standards <laughs> by, by modern Bollywood standards but uh, by classical <laughs> Bollywood standards I mean, it's, uh, it has uh, all the elements uh, that uh, constitute a Bollywood film, like lavish locations, uh, um, uh, song and dance sequences, a bit of comedy, a bit of family drama, a bit of romance. Uh, and uh, so that's why, I mean, I... And there's two men going down a, uh, a kind of a, an airstrip just with no top on. <laughs> uh, but that is, uh, is normal, I mean, because uh, the, year of, the year of the film... And it's coming to the lighthouse, ladies and gentlemen. He <laughs> needs to show off his body. It's, uh, it's normal. It's typical of Bollywood oh, and an heroes. What are they doing on an airstrip with no shirt on? It's illegal. <laughs> because uh, it's an action sequence. It distracts the pilots. It's an action sequence, and so that's why it's happening. And then, uh, I mean, it's a Bollywood film, so it's not supposed to make sense. <laughs> so Alex Sure um, I think for me it's <laughs> look at juicy on It's really heartwarming There's a great bit in like one of the early Simpsons episodes Where Adam West talks about like Why doesn't Batman dance anymore And I kind of feel that when I pick my selection for this Which is Batman and Robin because I was the right age when this came out. I was exactly the film's sole market. Like, idiot eight-year-old boy who was just fully on board for every stupid Schwarzenegger pun and, like, the fact that she could control vines with her powers. All of that. I was on board. So this film, for me, is a guilty pleasure. It's always going to be. And 
it's kind of nice because it actually watching it does remind me of the time where Batman clipped his heels together and there were ice skates rather than him renditioning people in the next ten years. <laughs> so I do like looking back on Batman and Robin as the sort of like just before 9-11 happened everything 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 was great so for that reason that's my guilty pleasure that's an amazing point <laughs> uh, the back credit card with an expiry date of forever um, Grace um, yeah this one's tough for me because I don't really like this is not a guilty pleasure in any way I unashamedly adore this film and it's Spice World <laughs> Alex, Alex had it in the pool no, no, yeah, yeah. Spice World is an iconic snapshot of a moment in time in a pop culture phenomenon and the fact that it's on the bottom 100 suggests that people don't appreciate it which tells me that people are even bigger idiots than I thought they were <laughs> so I feel sorry for anyone who grew up and did not love the Spice Girls it was a wonderful time they filled us with confidence and joy and passion and lots of yelling and very high shoes and all of that is in this film and it's magical and it's great and that's why it's my not guilty pleasure and we may be covering that soon hopefully on the podcast in immense detail very excited (laughs) so Ronan I've got a similar perspective I feel no guilt whatsoever in taking pleasure from this film which is Troll 2 Uh, (laughs) how could you not take pleasure in Troll 2 it is so much fun the entire what's, left side of the table just cheered. Yeah. What's extraordinary about it is that when you watch, uh, especially Best Worst Movie, the really good documentary that was made about it by Michael Stevenson, who stars in it, uh, Claudio Fragasso, the director, thought he was making a masterpiece. He really did. And he so commits to it, and he's just awful at his job. <laughs> he is. It's terrible. It's consistently terrible. And that sort of makes it great. And Best Worst Movie is a fantastic documentary for the way it explores, like, you know our expectations and how they impact what something really is but Troll 2 is I, I don't think anyone can watch it and not hugely enjoy it it's nuts you know romping around the town of Nilbog oh, that's Goblin backwards and it's not a sequel to Troll there's so much to adore about it. oh, it's great so Jay this, yeah this is interesting a lot of the films that I could pick are kind of the background of my mind that I would have seen the cinema like 20 odd years ago and I'm like did I like that did I not like that um, Master one, of Disguise you can go to bat for Master of Disguise Jay but the one I'm going to pick is uh, Speed 2 Cruise Control because <laughs> it's one of the most remarkable sequels for many many reasons like principally to replace Keanu Reeves with Jason Patrick um, I'll always watch because I love Sandra Bullock unashamedly and I watch her in anything the View Before He has a house band <laughs> um, and Willem Dafoe being a bad guy um, plus like after following speed where a bus can't slow down if it goes under 55 miles an hour they go on a cruise ship which is the slowest lumbering uh, I think max speed of 15 miles an hour or something it, it's remarkably silly and it's almost like an anti-sequel it's like alright you want more of this we'll give you more of this absolute terrible in every way that speed was good but it's remarkably enjoyable and really really silly and I would say it's worth a watch, but I'm a huge Bullock fan, so I wouldn't literally watch anything or they, they did say that when they asked what's the difference between Speed and Speed 2, and they said Sandra Bullock earning $12 million. Good. Well, <laughs> there <laughs> <laughs> the difference. Uh, and Luke. Uh, if listeners listen very carefully, they might be able to hear some of the uh, eye-rolling that's about to happen, but uh, The Room is my favourite of the films on this list. Uh, your guilty pleasure or your legitimately good? I can't use the words legitimately good <laughs> in association with the room in good conscience. But it 
just fascinates me so much and always has. You know, I kind of have gone through, like, I was just the right age of being a little turd teenager <laughs> when I first started seeing YouTube clips of it to be like, this is hilarious and bad and so bad it's good and all that stuff. But, you know, as my relationship with the room has developed, it just, it's always been so interesting to me. There, there are so many great filmmakers and great films that have aimed to reveal something about humanity or about the people making the films or, or, or what have you. And The Room, by complete accident, because it's made by such an incompetent person, <laughs> reveals so much about him and about what a terrifying, awful, <laughs> hubristic, unintelligent... Like, it... it <laughs> It's amazing. It just, it really is. I find The Room to be legitimately an amazing film. And after reading The Disaster Artist, I only found it even more interesting. You know, um, it's this film that is born out of one man's complete misunderstanding of the talent of Mr. Ripley. <laughs> a, a botched relationship with a woman that he's never revealed that could only have been incredibly scarring for the, the, pers the woman involved. And his bizarre relationship with his best friend who he envies and loves and hates kind of all in equal measure uh, Greg Sestero you know he wants to he wants to be Greg and he wants to kill him I think and that reveals itself through watching this film and so it's not great but I'm not guilty about the fact that I love it because it's so adjacent to my feelings about films that are great and that I do love. So, yeah. And Jack. He's a, it's a shame because I, I, I'm harmonising with his point completely because I originally was going to go Patrol 2 and then I was taking and then the room was back up. Sorry. So, um, well, you can argue for both. Like, I mean, you can say the room or. or yeah, I mean, the room I'd, I would be close to my heart as well. Like, basically, for. Well, at least Lou. Uh, said Lou, yeah. It's. Okay. Basically, basically for everything he said, but also, as you say, it's like you can't really get talk about the room without talking about Tommy Wiseau. And like, have you, if you have, just to sort of put it out to the room, has anybody read The Disaster Artist, the book that... It's amazing, of, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating, but it's one of those books that I read and I laughed out loud. And I've not laughed out loud at a book that hard for a long time, just because it's so bizarre. And you think it's actually real. And the whole film, when you've, when you've read the book, it just makes it even more impeccable, because you think, good God, this is all real. And it actually happened. And some of the scenes in the, in the film watch that followed, <laughs> just thinking that people had to go through that and they had to endure that. And it's the same sort of thing with The Troll 2, where, as I said earlier in my last part, was uh, the fact that when you find out how films are made, it tends to make the actual film a bit more richer. And when you find out how those films are made, you think, <laughs> you think the acting is actually really good, because if they can do this with a straight face, then they're geniuses, you know? And if they can, he can write such hilarious dialogue, then he's a really good writer, you know? by accident but um, I really I, I think Luke said it the best but I'll just I'll uh, champion his point and back it up perfect uh, <laughs> <laughs> very formal very formal <laughs> right, then, yeah, yeah. finally the last question of the evening and probably the toughest so we talked about the, the bottom 100 there and your favourite guilty pleasure from it but one of the things that we sort of discovered when we talk about the list with people is that there are a number of movies on the bottom 100 that people consider to be actually legitimately good movies that have been unfairly judged what? by history. What? What is wrong with these people? What are they talking so, about? Tony, <laughs> gun to your head. 
If you had to pick one movie on the bottom 100 that you think is a legitimately good movie that you could make a solid case for as a movie that maybe history hasn't been entirely fair to, what film would it be? Darren, I've done maths exams that are easier than this question you've just asked me. Seriously, I've looked at this whole list... Right, and I have no, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I think you're gonna need a bazooka to my head, head, not a gun. Right, this, this is, this is the hardest question I've ever been asked about movies. I think <laughs> I'm not gonna make you watch the movie right now, Tony. It's okay. <laughs> I think genuinely, I think, and I may steal Carl's here, but I think the only case you could possibly make for anything on this list. For it being anything other than absolute dirge, and it is very much something that a lot of people, particularly I think um, a certain Mark Kermode would disagree with, is Exorcist to the Heretic. I think because that film, I mean, <clears throat> that film that it, you know, it's directed by for a start, it's directed by John Borman. It stars Richard Burton and you know Linda Blair's back in it and Louise Fletcher and these you know these really good actors, and it is really different from the first one like really different it's basically richard burton in a room being all richard burton while linda blair is hooked up to a machine like having to relive like or it's it's really strange um but i think there is so and even though it isn't very good in or in many ways which is why it's on this list i think there is some merit i think there is something you know in there that people can extract but that's it. I can't, I, can't think, I can't think of anything else on this list. Good luck with this, Carl. Good luck with this one, mate. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad I went first. Mm. I really am. Yeah, well, so Carl. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm going to choose Plan 9 from Outer Space, uh, Edward's 1959 film. And okay, yeah, yeah. it's not really a good film, but I think that if you wanted like a test case for like the auteur theory, for example, you know, uh, this is a film that's got Edward's personality, you know, imprinted all over it. And, you know, he wrote it, he was, he produced it, he directed it, he edited it, you know, and um, for a film, this film, you know, down the decades has often been labeled the worst film ever made. And I think that whenever you have something that's like dubbed like that, it it's never quite as bad as the reputation might suggest. And I think that, this film's had an influence on science fiction, you know, for better and for worse. And um, it's been kind of, you know, it's been, uh, you know, clips from the film have been excerpted into other movies and TV shows. So in terms of like a genuine positive influence, and of course, um, you know, I think Tim Burton's best film is the Edward biopic he made. So it, it kind of um, gave birth to that in a funny sort of way. So I think this film has had a positive influence, even if the text itself, you know, the film itself is is no cop, really. It's, um, you know, it's obviously quite famous because um, Bela Lugosi, I think, died during the production of the film or something. So, like, the, the footage of him is, like, really patched together and stuff. But the film is awful. It's not really an answer to your question, Darren, I'm afraid. But uh, I've got a weird kind of fondness for it, I suppose. I will, I will, give, I will give you one more, actually, that I, that I saw. One more that... <clears throat> Sorry. That I uh, that I thought maybe doesn't deserve to be on there actually, and that's Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two, simply for the fact that I love the first Blair Witch, and I think that's a masterpiece. And this really isn't, but it at least tries to do something different as a sequel because it's it's about the it's sort of like it's meta, it's a meta commentary. It's about people going to the real place where the Blair Witch Project was filmed to explore the phenomenon of the film, and then they get caught into the 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 same thing. And I really like that as an idea. It just didn't come out very well, but I admire the the concept of it 
So maybe that's a bit harsh. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of horror sequels on there actually. Just it's worth noting. Like so, mm. you point out The Exorcist, you point out Book of Shadows. Even S. Darko's on there to pick another example. The Human Centipede Two and The Human Centipede Three oh. are also mm. on there. Shocking! They are horrible. Everybody. Have you watched them? They are. Ho- oh my god! Yes, I have. Unfortunately, why would you watch them, Tony? Like, I, oh, I'm all for eating your carbs, morbid. but uh, I'm I'm not quite sure for you. Instead of eating your carbs morbid morbid curiosity that i never ever ever will ever indulge again if that that ever comes about that that was the the second (laughs) one especially is one of the most grim experiences you would ever have in front of a screen please please never ever 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 go near it in your life please and I, think, I think Tony's just volunteered to be the guest for episode covering Human Centipede 2. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so Charlene, what would it be? I'm going to say Plan 9 from Outer Space. I'm a massive fan of Plan 9 from Outer Space. And maybe going back to what I just said about films that were made with passion, there's a fierce joy in Plan 9 from Outer Space. It's not a perfect film. It's probably okay that it's on the bottom 250, bottom 100. Um, it's a really fun movie, and I always enjoy watching it, and I've seen it like 20 times. So that's mine. Um, Marianne. I, uh, so I was not going to say this, because I was like, it's too weird, but now I know I'm in, like, Among Friends. So, yeah, let's talk more about the room. <laughs> no, I am... Um, Similarly, like, absolutely fascinated by Tommy Wiseau. I love conspiracy theories about him. And, like, is he an alien who's trying to learn what movies are? Um, Yeah, I'm kind of obsessed with it. And it's not that... Lucas just already explained this so much better than me. And I guess I won't, like, bother trying to do it again. But I do think there's something in this film uh, that, like, sort of takes the, like, raw exercise of, like, what is making a film? Like, why do people do it? And just, like, strips out any art or nuance (laughs) or, like, anything that makes it enjoyable for other people and is just sits there being like, this is what it is. Here's an ego. You know? And it's, like... So, I mean, good isn't the word but fascinating and kind of yeah the room is a movie that has made me think so hard about what movies are and there i think there are very other so can there be another list <laughs> like just somewhere else where we can put it on it's a list unto itself <laughs> yeah it's just it's number one and then there's like various other movies underneath it but yeah um yeah it's like being like oh it's a bad movie seems like such a simplistic reading <laughs> also i just want to go on record to be like if wiseo is like the world's best performance artist like Amazing! <laughs> you know, this is genuine art. <laughs> uh, well, like more, more, more people should should do this. I mean, if you're like Tommy Wiseau and have seven or eight million, <laughs> just <laughs> lying just, around, just lying around, why not make a movie? I'm saying this to Darren all the time. <laughs> Darren does not. Darren does not have seven or eight million dollars just lying around. There are all 
awful people who just buy handbags, yeah. like seven million worth of handbags. And instead, yeah. Tommy Wiseau was like, "Hey, look at so my handbags. soul!" You know? yeah. it's, it's incredible. <laughs> so, Babu, if you were to pick one, uh, one movie on the list that you think is legitimately good, what would it be? Fifty Shades of Grey. Nice, definitely. <laughs> No, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know I, I think that's it's, it's fascinating because um, it made so much money uh, for a, a very small budget, yeah, and it had a really good director um, who'd done some interesting films before, and yeah, and everyone was reading about it, and it was interesting. I, I guess I, I was interested because it was part of that popular culture at the time. And I went to see it just to see who was in the audience. Sure. I didn't go. <laughs> you can't even make those jokes about it because, like, it's not even a dirty movie. It's all about it's contract not, negotiation. Like, it's really it's, not bad, though. No. Like, like it's not... The, the, it's like, not a the, bad movie. I suspect the reason that it's on the bottom 100 movies has nothing to do with its quality. Yeah, but it, like, but yeah, it, 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 nor, nor, nor just nor like Spice World or just like Crossroads. There's a yeah. certain connective thread there, I think. Yeah. Well, it's a fairly empty, soulless vehicle, but so are so many of Marvel's like, I mean, offerings. I, I mean, Deadpool two made. The yeah, top two. I, know. I love Deadpool two, but Deadpool two made the top two. Films. But also, I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey. It's like, oh my god, I'm the opposite of turned on. What's <laughs> <it> like? <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing because it, it was because it, it wasn't like a porno movie at all. It was, Nothing. It was just kind of not that I don't know anything about porn. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wrote Tennessee, young I did actually, yes, uh, many years ago. But that's oh, me too. Really that's something we haven't covered. <laughs> <laughs> we both written essays about porn. I got it yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I used it as the, the, yeah, the lecturer used it and said, Can I use your, your essay as a. Giovanna, what about yourself? If you pick uh, one of the one of the movies on the bottom 100 that you think is legitimately a good movie, what would it be? Uh, that would be Gundai. Again, it's an Indian film uh, uh, by uh, Ali Abbas Zafar, and uh, the protagonists are um, um, Ranveer Singh and Priyanka Chopra. Priyanka Chopra now is becoming famous even in uh, in the West with uh, Quantico. And uh, anyway, uh, basically, uh, this film is um, um, about um, uh, two orphans who are taken in by a gangster, and uh, they uh, become gangsters uh, themselves. Uh, and uh, they're still uh, uh, great friends, but they are divided by the love of uh, a woman, a cabaret singer, uh, that would be Priyanka Chopra. And uh, uh, this film is um, uh, had really good reviews, and it's um, really a good film in terms of story, acting, because basically it has a Western feel to it, and a, um, a, it is basically an homage to um, the uh, Bollywood films in the 70s. It reminds of Cholet, of the bar, and uh, um, it's, um, it's really interesting to watch because it has that uh, Western feel, that nostalgic feel, and uh, the uh, song and dance sequences are really good, but uh, also are the uh, sequences in which they rob a train or uh, the fight sequences. And so, uh, I mean, uh, uh, I don't think it belongs in the bottom 100 because um, uh, it was a really good film, actually. So, Alex, if you were to pick a movie on the bottom 100 that you think is legitimately good, 
See, to prepare for this, I kind of went through the list the other day and was like, wait, why is that on there? I remember having a fondness for that, so I watched it on Monday night. And that film That's was... That's actual proper research for this. Wow. I needed to confirm. I needed to confirm. And that film was The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Kyle <laughs> McLaughlin, right? Yes. No, that's oh. The Flintstones. So, The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas isn't, isn't a great film. It's not even the best Flintstones film. And there is a Baldwin in it, Stephen Baldwin. But it's it, it's fine. Like, it's good. It doesn't deserve to be, like, one of the most hundred-hated films of all time. It's about two blue-collar guys falling in love with girls. And there's no, like, massive, big, evil messages in it. It's a bit of a toy commercial at times, but it's... In terms of the messaging and stuff, it's got a very, very... For a film set in Vegas, it's got a very anti-gambling message all the way through. <laughs> it's got a general theme of, like, rich, snobby golf people are evil. And That's fair. guys who work down in the factory are not, also. Fine. And the four leads are really giving it socks. It's like Mark Addy, Kristen Johnston from Third Rock from the Sun, Jane Krasowski from 30 Rock, and Stephen Baldwin. And it's as if all four of them knew, like, this is it, guys. This is the only time we're ever going to be a lead in the film that's just <laughs> really give it, it, give it their all. And they really do. Like, particularly Kristen Johnson as Wilma. She, like, nails it. And Jane Krasowski, you know, you see the, like, the, the performer who'd then go on to, like, six years or whatever it was of, like, perfect 30 Rock performance. It's incredible. And even Stephen Baldwin, whose, whose job is just to sort of like chuckle as Fred's idiot friend, <laughs> nails it. Yeah. <laughs> the role I, I feel a lot yeah. for Barney Rubble. <laughs> <laughs> That's my role on the podcast. <laughs> and like kind of similarly then to like Batman, like another thing I, I didn't say about Batman earlier was Batman incorporated Batgirl. Like, and had a female superhero solidly 20 years before Captain Marvel or anyone else. And for kids growing up watching that, that was a good thing to do. And similarly, the Flintstones and Beaver Rock Vegas, the messages and the overall themes of the film, all good, positive things that generally you want the kid to see. The only thing I will say is the Flintstones do have this, like, weird caste system of using animals as, like, domestic <laughs> products. That's a little bit dodgy at times. The pelican toilet saying, oh, yes, it's a living, yeah. And the, the little juicer, there's a, an octopus who's a massager that says, I just found out what calamari is. So there's a lot of strange things around that, but generally does not deserve to be I one of the top 100 terrible songs. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't Alan Cumming in it? He, and in two roles. He's, in, he's as the great kazoo, but also shows up as Mick Jagged, which is apparently like a parody of Mick Jagger. And then the funny thing is they don't really change the Rolling Stones band name because that's already like kind of been Flintstones, you know, and given this sort of name. I think so. in the first movie there's a character called Sharon Stone. Yeah, so Halle Berry plays Sharon yeah. Stone. You always need to see both of these. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't seen either So they're, they're not great, but they're not the worst. Like, they're, they're good, they're fine. So yeah, Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas. And Grace, if you were to pick a legitimately good movie. Um, well, I'll go to bat for Spice World, but in the interest of um, picking a different one, I will also say Fifty Shades of Grey, because Fifty Shades of Grey is not a bad film by any means. It's just not. I mean, the story is fundamentally boring as hell and deeply uninteresting, but as a piece of filmmaking, I think it works very well. It, it's shot beautifully. The cast are mostly good. Jamie Dornan is gracefully, or not so gracefully, excluded from that summation. And I feel like it's something that if they had actually cast the male lead better, which they did originally, um, it could have actually overcome the fundamental issue of having absolutely no chemistry between its leads, which would have given at least something to elevate the subject matter. 
But um, no, I think it's actually quite good. I mean, the director clearly has skill and vision and does her best with a very basic, uninvolving story. Um, and it's not the worst. Like, there's definitely other rubbish you could sit through and not feel like enriched in any way. So, um, yeah, no, I'm going to say Fifty Shades of Grey for this. Who was the original cast? Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. Uh, from Sons of Anarchy oh, yes. and Pacific Rim. And, yeah. And, yeah. That motorcycle show. Yeah. <laughs> also, the director did an incredible job considering, by all accounts, E.L. James was literally sitting yeah, on her. Being yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's my vision. You know? <laughs> We're talking about the room there as, like, ego on screen. Mm. There have been, like, two more movies as well. Yeah. Does this mean that they're, like, worse? Or better? They didn't. Than... They're, presumably, they're better because they didn't make the bottom one hundred. Yeah, it's weird. Like, because the Human Centipede two and the Human Centipede three are on the bottom one hundred, but the Human Centipede somehow evades like classification on there. It's very strange. It's, it's better by some stretch, which isn't saying much. Have you seen? But I've seen one and two. What's the second? How's it different? Bigger centipede. In the Human Centipede, it is better to be. It's all about scale. There's a subtle but important difference. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. On on that note, Ronan, what would be your legitimately good film on the list? Uh, It's just as well I don't really care about my reputation because this is me standing up for the Wicker Man. The Uh, Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. The Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, to be absolutely clear. Uh, The 1973 Wicker Man, Robin Hardy's film, is possibly my favourite horror of all time. The 2006 version is not like it. It's uh, to say the least. it's very different. But the thing about it is, when I first saw it, I absolutely hated it. I thought it was abomination, ruining sort of the legacy of, of this film I adored. But the more you watch it, and I have watched it a few times, um, forgive me, uh, the more you see that nobody thought they were making a horror film. Nobody thought they were making an effective, you know, mystery. I don't think anyone here didn't think they were making an extremely broad comedy. And it works really well in that. Nicolas Cage runs around punching people in a bear costume. It's really strange. And it I like is... the bear costumes are a recurring motif. Yeah. 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 That's what the whole this gorilla list together. Costume in Hercules in New York. That's the problem. <laughs> but it's you know, it, I think in a weird roundabout way it's kind of doing what they wanted it to do so in a strange contorting reverse logic it is good because it's achieving its intentions even if it's terrible and it is terrible but it's good (laughs) but it's terrible would it be better if it wasn't called the liquor man it might but But then it wouldn't be as much fun yeah (laughs) you wouldn't have this incredible film to sort of see the heights it's falling from the bees bees. not the bees bees at all Uh, Nicolas Cage is really going for it here and you know the greatest actor of our generation according to Ethan Hawke the only person to do something interesting with the art since Brando and a man apparently in spiritual communion with the troubadours. The only person. This is Ethan Hawke. <laughs> this is Ethan Hawke speaking. He can, I think you, you called Darren Ethan Hawke the, the controlling people left, right, and centre in interviews, which is probably fair. <laughs> the internet's crazy uncle. Yes. Um, what about you, Jay? Um, yeah, good. Good films. That's an interesting <laughs> yeah. I think the thing of it is, I think good can mean what you want it to mean, depending <laughs> on when you've seen the film. This is a great essay question. Because yeah, it is. Um, 
in my thesis I will contend that um, but one that's remarkably low in this and I don't know if that's better or worse than to be higher on the list or lower on the list I have no idea but uh, coming in one being the worst is it oh then it's veritably good then uh, coming in at 96 Super Mario Brothers um, oh yeah right this, this is a weird thing when I I was kind of a weirdly good age I was 18 when this came out or 17 I think and I had spent the previous like four or five years what playing uh, Super Mario Brothers and Mario Brothers and Super Mario Kart but the problem was if you grew up in that time is that there was only one TV in your home and access to said TV when you've big family is difficult so myself and my brother used to get up at 1am <laughs> and play Mario Brothers and Mario Kart all the way through till about 5 before going to sleep and, and going into fever dreams before you went to school and not every night but quite a few that matter so the only film that mattered to me in kind of summer 93 was Super Mario Brothers and in the context of how much I loved those games and how much fun I had with it it was perfect I know it's not perfect, like, but my God, it's got, it's fun. It's not arch and cynical in the way a lot of superhero films and kind of modern blockbusters tend to be. It's, it's John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins who are brilliant in it. They're really well cast and really good fun. And as Dennis Hopper doing Dennis Hopper, uh, which is always fun. Um, it's, it, I, so I, it's one of those ones I'm going to leave alone and probably never rewatch because. If I do hate it, I'd be kind of disgusted with older me, and younger me would certainly be disgusted with older me. So I'm going to leave it as a, a snapshot in time of something that I really loved at a time where I maybe should have known better, but I'm kind of glad I didn't. It's very handy to watch. It's very on YouTube. Especially uh, at five of, um, Yeah, okay. quality, real quality. <laughs> How little the company cares. <laughs> they can't even bother to put up a do not uh, cease yeah. assist. Because if they did that, they'd have to admit that they had something to do with it. Interesting um, postscript on Thursday, a really, really good, I can't remember where it was published, but an oral history came out yes, a little while ago. And it's a terrific read about kind of how films are put together and the, the, the calamitous nature of it like yeah the poor directors exactly uh, but it's, it's really fun I actually kind of want to rewatch it now but anyway we'll see perfect and Luke well I'll, I'll start by saying that I resent IMDb revising this list to, to put in films that people have actually seen because it seems to have removed a film that I have actually seen United Passions <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the FIFA biopic which I believe is one of the greatest satires of our time. Like, I have to believe it's one of the greatest satires. Myself, of our time. Andrew, and Babu have seen it, and we would agree with that. You have recommended to me, Darren. It's on my list to watch also. But of the films that are, I mean, of the films that are on this list, so many of them are there because they are cynical, or you know, they're they're people trying to make a quick book, or they're kind of. They're, they're, they're problematic films or they're films that are there because of the people that have voted for it not because they object to the film's quality but they object to the film's existence we've talked about this with, with, with Spice World and, and films like this where the kinds of people that vote for these films just don't want those kinds of films but of the films on this list there is kind of one flower growing out of the dirt <laughs> Um, not the film itself but within the film so you have to look really really hard and that's within the film Street Fighter (laughs) which is dreadful and is made for cynical reasons 
but has um, a performance by uh, Rel Julia. Rel Julia? I always pronounce names wrong on podcast. A fantastic actor that you wonder, well, like, why, why is he in a film that's made to sell video games and to, to put a paycheck in the pocket of Jean-Claude Van Damme? <laughs> but uh, Rel Julia was, was dying when he made this film. He was dying of stomach cancer. And he agreed to appear in this film because it was being shot close to where his grandchildren lived and he would kind of allow him to spend more time with them in the final kind of months of his life and also because they were big fans of the game and uh, allegedly kind of advised him on how to play the role of M. Bison. <laughs> I love that that was true. Which he does fantastically. He is, it is a legitimately great performance in something that's otherwise rubbish. Um, like he, he's funny he's got gravitas which you can't say for anyone else in the film sorry Kylie Minogue fans <laughs> um, and yeah it's, he's, he's just really good at it and it's just this, this moment of kind of pure joy watching him in this in comparison to so many of the other films in this list of which I have seen too many <laughs> perfect and Jack on the list if you think there's a legitimately good movie on there what would it be I would, I'd like to take out a slightly different turn and not, not say there's a good film on the list. However, to perhaps have a sort of stance of defence towards some of the other films that I think perhaps shouldn't be on the list um, because of the genre, which is comedy. So, like, comedy obviously is quite a subjective thing. And to the two films I sort of spot that would reflect what I'm saying is the Adam Sandler film, Jack and Jill, and then the Dumb and Dumber sequel, which uh, is when Harry Met Lloyd. Yes, precisely. Doesn't mean this is not to say I like said films. This is just my the two that sort of would shine out as examples of what I'm about to say. I don't know if if you can sort of slam a comedy film because if a comedy film's badly made but it's still funny and some people find it really funny, is it a bad film? And is it a, is it poorly made? Like what judges it as a good film? Is it the cult reaction? Is it the quality and sophistication of the story? Or is it you know is it is it just like oh well, that didn't break my heart, I didn't laugh out loud so therefore I hate it and anyone who likes it is an idiot but then that's like to few who do love it, they're wrong do you know what I mean, because like, for example those two films you've got people who love Adam Sandler like, they, I like a few of his films but I've got friends who like they, they can quote everything he's ever done, they think he's a god and they just love it and for them like anything he does turns to gold you know, even Jack well, he, he wouldn't be making Netflix movies if nobody enjoyed them precisely, <laughs> precisely but you know let's say like if the masses love it, does that not mean that therefore some part of the world thinks it's good? Therefore, it shouldn't be on the top. Bottom line. I know they've voted it there, yeah. however. So, yeah, yeah. so that's kind of what I would sort of put out to the to the rumours were, because, the, like I say, with the genre of comedy, if it was horror films and it's meant to be scary and it's ridiculous, then yeah, fair enough, put it on there. Because it's like, you're meant to, be, meant to be petrified, that's the whole point. But if you're meant to laugh and it's like, it's, it's like the office thing where it's like if something's not funny but it's awkward it kind of becomes funny do you know what I mean so it's laughing at it rather than with it so. yeah like we, we watched recently I mean my girlfriend just, this is just not really weird but recently we watched just for the sake of it because um, when we both were teenagers that when it came out it would be uh, uh, You're Afraid of the Dark was anyone remember yeah, the TV yeah. show yeah. and TV we watched show, that and we were both saying oh when we watched that when we were younger it was petrifying and we watched it back and it was just hilarious because you've got all these terrible actors and the production's awful and the scripts are predictable, but it's really entertaining. Because you think, bloody hell, we were scared of this. Like, it, this scared us. 
but it's, it, even though it's meant to be horror, it kind of became comedy. So I, we kind of cherished it, even though it was really bad for what it was meant to be. See what I mean? Yeah. And the, the, the movies on the list, um, on the 250, that are, um, uh, that are comedies, probably... Um, they're not the kind of laugh a minute sort of. Um, oh no, they're very no. arch and wry. You're yeah, like yeah. The, the Coen Brothers and the yeah. Yeah, like there's 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 well, there's, the there's nothing like we grew up with with things like like Dumb and Dumber, yeah. like um, Kingpin, Austin Powers, yeah. like uh, something about Mary, yeah. Kingpin, exactly. Is that yeah, a horror list? It, it is, yeah, yeah. That, the, yeah. The, um, it did. Um, that's it what I was kind of thinking of. Because it's, it's funny, easy. but but there, it's art. It's, it's right. Yeah, yeah, and it's not like kind of. Well, I mean, this um, sort of gets at the list. What the list sort of is. It it does have this sort of persona being sort of reasonably sort of like cinephilic but not overly so so it's kind of arch and very serious and that's the kind of thing that you see with the films that make the list mm. and the films that make the bottom 100 are sort of like the inverse of that I think Luke sort of alluded to this it's the films that like people found insulting whether because they're female focused like say Crossroads which has no business being there Spice World which if it starred a bunch of men would probably be beloved um, and like Fifty Shades of Grey which is on there well, because it's a you can't stop the music <laughs> was the, the um, I, I guess the, the <laughs> the, the village people um, <laughs> movie version of uh, Spice, Spice World. World and it's not on yeah. there uh, not on there no not on the bottom 100 surprisingly enough but yeah I suppose this actually might be an interesting one to open up to the group actually just in terms of like the bottom 100 and how it looks now do we have any general thoughts about it about what should be there what shouldn't be there about you know sort of how it's made up about whether or not what a bad film is like in terms of a bad film how many people have to have seen it and is that like is it if it's an enjoyably bad film is it a bad film at all I think what they're oh, sorry I think what they're going for here is a populist bad film list yeah. in the sense of what you're getting is a recognisable bad film list in the sense that people go oh yeah that's there and then you can start a conversation about guilty pleasures and all the rest of it but in reality probably 50% of these films are fine if not more yeah. like in terms most people would probably recognise at least 10, 15, 20 films that they've watched and were yeah. either forgettable or you know fine or you know like another 50 you could mention that could and probably should be on this so right. I mean I, I, I didn't really look at the list before they changed it I presume before they changed it it was a lot more on this oh yeah Myself and I did a couple of extra um, Russian uh, propaganda, like Vladimir Putin's Why We Invaded Crimea. Why why we liberated Crimea. Kind of sympathetic. Yeah. 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 What what else could Russia have done? Yeah, they had no choice in that situation. Yeah, they could have stood back and and let disaster happen. (laughs) But they intervened. They did (laughs) the brave thing and the right thing and the hard thing. That was a very effective movie, but it was very difficult to watch. And it really (laughs) really got through to me. I feel like... Practically difficult to watch. Yeah, I understand. Oh, it was, yes. <laughs> well, this is the thing for the bottom 100. If you're filled with all these films that you have to order from Turkey, uh, and you have to watch through uh, and yeah. translate through the Google Translate program as well. Go to, like, this uh, bazaar in Marrakesh and uh, <laughs> prove that I wasn't a cop. And, yeah. Before they handed over the yeah, copy exactly. of it. Um, and it was a VCR. <laughs> strangely enough. Um, we had to wire it up and get the HD there. But yeah, it was. Like, before this, it was all, like, lots of Turkish films, lots of Russian films, lots of films that nobody who isn't a massive film fan had seen like Chairman of the Board starring Carrot Top that level of sort of obscurity I only know that for that like Norm Macdonald interview where he like calls a Chairman of the Board spelled B-O-R-E-D and like devastates the film star who's right beside him on the couch (laughs) I feel like Carrot Top's probably heard worse about the film But yeah, so what, what are you trying to think about in terms of like bad films like is is it a I think Jack's point was interesting about um 
they, this idea of what is bad and what is good. Like, there are no Lenny Riefenstahl films on this. It's not bad, bad. It's sort of like populist bad. And But then populist bad is, it's kind of bad as well. And I kind of think, you know, I appreciate it's something I've come to a few times this on, the, on this particular night, but the idea that there are big popular films out there with bad messages. Like, the second Transformers movie has a bad message in it. It's not just like a stupid film about robots fighting. There are racial stereotypes who say, I don't read too good, and things like this. That's a bad, bad film that shouldn't be, exist. you know, exist. Yeah. And, and then kind of what, you know, Luke's saying around that there's clearly an audience of people out there who are deciding, no, these are the films I don't want to see. And yes. These are the... Catwoman is somehow a bad film because it, yeah. Batman and Robin because it embarrassed me when I was a kid. That's what it did. didn't embarrass me. <laughs> it didn't embarrass me then. It doesn't now. <laughs> uh, it's better than Batman Forever. Yeah. I like Batman Forever. Yeah. 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 You can stop your Batman Forever hater. Batman Forever hater. Stop it, your agenda. Um, but yeah, and just in terms of other I stuff. Call man in that. That was informative. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that <laughs> But yeah, just in terms of like the, the list and stuff like that, do we want to talk? Is there anything anybody wants to say just generally about it? About because this year's kind of been interesting because there have been fewer new entries and because everything has been very highly charged, because everything on the internet is now very highly charged. <laughs> So, for example, things like Black Panther being one of the first Marvel movies not to make the list, or The Last Jedi being the first Star Wars film ever not to make the list. I'm including the prequels on that, uh, which is somewhat inexplicable. The but prequels yeah. made. I mean, it's not inexplicable. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the prequels yeah. making it is not. Sorry. Mariano? I'm not surprised. That's all. I, was, I, was, I made my statement. I, no, but, I mean, disliking the prequels wasn't like the sort of weird political statement that it is today. Yeah. I mean, I think we can assume that the Venn diagram of people who are very angry about pop culture on Twitter and the Venn diagram of people who vote for these things on IMDb is more or less a circle. You know? Like, so they're making a... A statement. A statement. Yes. But, you know... And it's, it's things like, for example, I know that the Jodie Whittaker episodes of Doctor Who have all been preemptively voted for us and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah which is, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost like it's not... You have to give them anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely meaningless. We've, we've devoted two years to the list and it's completely meaningless. <laughs> had a nice time. <laughs> we're here for a good time, a long time. It's not about friendship. friendship. <laughs> <laughs> the realist with the friends yeah. we made along the way. The bottom 100 were the friends we made along the way. But yeah, so is there anything else anybody wants to say, anything to discuss, or anybody, anyone, anything anybody wants to throw out there? Um, I just, the, the, the film at the top of the list kind of has been for a long time um, The Shawshank Redemption, which is a good film. <laughs> a sturdy oh, film. Yeah. A sturdy yeah. film. But it's not that great. I mean, yes. exactly. Thank you. Well, without you know, there's, there's, that's that's an episode of a podcast. You could say uh, talking about the Shawshank Redemption in itself. But I don't know what it says that the kind of the top film on the when we're talking about the IMDb list and who makes it and why. I don't know what it says that the top film has been for such a long time about a person that's been accused and punished of a terrible crime but is completely innocent and gets their big redemption at the end. Um, I don't know, that's kind of a... 
increasingly worrying. I don't know what that says. It's been there a long time, though. It's, yeah. it's, it's been there since 2008. It's been there since... And the reason that it's there is because apparently Dark Knight fans were strategically voting down The Godfather. <laughs> apparently Godfather fans were strategically voting down The Dark Knight. And somehow the Shawshank Redemption just literally yeah. bolted in. The internet is a cesspit. <laughs> I, I like the idea of all these guys in Jersey being like, you see, they're voting down The Godfather. <laughs> 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 Wearing the tracksuits. Yeah, yeah. I'll show them. People coordinate. Are they all on Reddit or like four chans? Yeah, like. Are they okay? Which is really interesting. Even though the energy. I really want to be in the room with one of them when they achieve the goal, just for that sort of brief moment of delight, and then. All right, I will now leave my current basement. There's now nothing else to like. In my life, yeah, I've accomplished what I set out to do. They've had their victories. I mean, the Black Panther not making. Which is, a, which is a which is probably film. like the biggest yeah. movie of the year, starring a superhero yeah. and being Marvel part of a shared movie. universe. Yeah. Like I mean, that should have been a slam dunk, yeah. except for and also it's good. Yeah, and it, I can't think why. Yeah, why? Well, <laughs> I look forward to Captain Marvel making I mean, the movie no next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it is sort of interesting because it's kind of spilled out into. It's funny that you mentioned like the idea of the person shaking their fist at the sky saying "I've accomplished it," because that's kind of split out into the like into the wider world. Where we're yeah, no longer just absolutely. gaming IMDb. There's stuff like, I mean, I was reading threads today about the Irish presidential election, yeah. where polls are being gamed and coordinated on 4chan, of all places. I don't think that that's Did you not hear it? No. They were at that point. Why are you surprised that I didn't hear it? But yeah, apparently, yeah, 4chan is all in for Casey, unsurprisingly. How do they even know what a traveler is? <laughs> they, genuine. They know it's a minority. They know it's a minority, and they know that they hate it. Apparently, but yeah, that's that's it. It's so, all, and they game. They, they, they openly boast about gaming. I, I don't feel like this is a new thing, though. Like I really got the impression there was a lot of that going on before the referendum in May as well, and yeah. completely skewed people's perceptions of how strong the anti side was. So, yeah. I'm just surprised that they care enough about our president, considering he really doesn't have a great deal of power. It's not like we're voting the next Trump in here, you know? This might be a matter for the other 250 podcasts, which looks at the top 250 comments on the journal.ie. <laughs> 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 Thank you, That's a <laughs> Sheer outright levels of evilness. It is, it is the I think he'll do well because of... Like, um, like it seems to in 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 Irish society, like we're gener- Sorry, Ashley, why are we talking? Yeah. About this? <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be like the, the prejudice that people feel like it's, it's perfectly fine to have. Yeah. Yeah. If you remember um, cardboard gangsters yeah. last year and how people kind of respond to that, people forget these things very quickly. Yeah. yeah, I look forward to seeing Peter Casey's biopic starring the mayor from Jaws, though. <laughs> I look forward to seeing it on the top two hundred and fifty films. Not the bottom hundred. But it, it is interesting that this has sort of spilled out into the real world. That like this sort of like ridiculous gaming that would happen on this list has like you have a point where Russian bots are sabotaging the midterms and also complaining about Last Jedi, which is just a wonderful Venn diagram. If, if nothing else, this conversation just proves that we as a species no longer deserve any kind of superiority on this planet. But it, something really needs to take. Us it shows you how closely tied our culture is into our you know how, mm. how much a foundation it is for everything. That this yeah. is the sort of front line as much as actual politics the movies that we decide are the best are as much of an important thing to us as the people that rule the country 
Our, our Taoiseach wants a country where people get up early in the morning and go on <laughs> four chan actually down vote. And I said go on four chan and down vote. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm not certain what four chan is. Um, yeah. I don't know and frankly I don't want to know. <laughs> but I suppose I'd be interested in, in like what yourselves Andrew and Darren, as someone who people who've spent so long with this list, right? What, what do you, yeah? What syndrome. do you think we should do? Do we all need to like Andy Dufresne crawl through a river of frosty to like actually log in and get accounts and start voting for films ourselves, or is this something we just need to push out on an iceberg and forget so, about? So I've never once voted, Andy, <laughs> uh, and I would suggest to all our listeners that they don't either. Yeah. I never have either. I have voted for about 3,000 films on IMDb. Wow. Yeah, that's oh, it's the one you need to check. That was a shot. Seven out of ten. <laughs> He has several Gmail accounts because each one allows him to put, give it a perfect day. See, I don't use the list as a barometer of what films are good or bad or not, but I do use the Shawshank Redemption as a pretty handy barometer of whether a film that is good is actually good or then uh, yeah, it's good. Like perfect. We, we know the difference. Yeah, yeah. It's a subtle But I think thing. The, the fascinating thing, and I think we talked about this in last year's show about the Shawshank Redemption, was that it's one that no one feels particularly strongly about yeah. either way. Like yeah. People are just kind of like, it's grand. Not very many people are going to come along and be like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. But no one's going to come along and say it's the best thing they've ever sure seen. I'm not sure I've met him. That's the yeah, nature of it. It slots in as this kind it's, of generic... Yeah, but it also bit. has yeah. a level of, like, you feel smart, like, for liking it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're like, great. Yeah, no, like, there's I a lesson here. I have <laughs> empathy. Rita Hayworth is in it. You know, it's a it's a King book as well. So, yeah. and not not to disparage King, but popular, but not the we, we can disparage not the, the genre best. film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, it's the one that you have heard of but are allowed to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You'll never see The Shining top the list. Yeah. The Shining is on the list, though. It's one of the highest ranking horror films. Although that may be the sort of Kubrick aspect to it. Yeah. That's the only horror film. Of course it is. Well, I mean, and, and, yeah, Andrew and I have a, a recurring argument whether Science and the Lambs and The Thing are horror movies. I say Well, it's are. the most Both Halloween-y. Science of the Lambs. It's a horror movie, it's but, but it's not very kind of like Halloween, uh, Halloween because it's very kind of like... No kind ghosts. Of, uh, it does yeah, have a mask. It's, 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 oh, it's, it's not supernatural. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fair, fair. Human. Um, the thing felt like it could be a more like a supernatural, because if you just take out, out the bit at the beginning, <laughs> where the alien crashes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, it is sort of, it is interesting in that regard. And again, we talked a little bit about the breakdown of the directors on the list, where it's all Nolan, uh, Spielberg, Kubrick, and stuff like that. Ron Howard. Howard. <laughs> Ron Howard does Ron have Howard's that Rush is yeah. in there. Ron Howard's Rush Ron is in there. His, his Frost Nixon was in there for a while. His Apollo yeah. 13 was in there. Apollo 13 was in there, but it's such yeah. dropped off. Incredible to me. Oh, we should, we <laughs> should say to people, continue. Well, continue unabated. 
We should say to people that there is a Shawshank Redemption episode. Of the oh, there is, which Charlene. Last January. Yes, it was yeah. last January. So we have actually covered that in a great deal. Then. I was oh. perfect for the 250, though, in the way the Shawshank is. There's nothing particularly offensive about anything in this film. No one hates, nobody hates Ron Harry. Loves Ron Harry. All of those aren't in there. Like. There's a lot of eight out of tens and very few twos. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice if there were no eight out of tens. It'd be nice if there were a few Clint Harrod films on the bottom. Clint has to balance it out. Yeah, like Ice Cream Man. One of those. The bottom 100 is the Clint Howard list. <laughs> Sadly underrated. The, the top 250 is the Ron Howard of lists. Yeah. Right um, Alright, so I think that about wraps it up. But let's do a quick roundtable and see like, if people want a bit more uh, of our commenters in their lives, where can they find you online? Okay, very quickly. AJ Blackwriter on Twitter um, for a collection of different things. Uh, my blog is called Cultural Conversation my website is called Set the Tape and that's at Set the Tape at Twitter and my my main podcast is the Xcast I don't know my, my mic fell um, and my main podcast is the Xcast all about the X-Files you can find that at the X underscore cast on Twitter perfect and Carl yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at CKJ Sweeney, and my uh, podcast is The Movie Palace, which is dedicated to uh, classical Hollywood cinema from the 1920s up to the kind of late 1960s. So people can check that out if they like. It's uh, at Movie Palace Pod on Twitter. The podcast is available on uh, iTunes and Spotify and, you know, in a, a few other places. And I also turn up um, a fair bit on the Xcast, which is Tony's podcast. And actually, we'll be crossing over with you next week, actually. So you are sort of preempting your appearance next week or our crossover next week. So join us next week when we talk about double indemnity together. Yeah, and that was a lot of fun to discuss, wasn't it? Because we've already got it in the can. And uh, yeah, a great film and a great little conversation we had, I think. Marianne? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tiny York. Baboo? Uh, you can't actually find me online. Well, yeah. I did. If <laughs> you look hard enough. You're on Facebook. Actually, I, I did have a blog a couple of years ago, so if you want If you can find it and if you can tweet it at us, we'll retweet it. Okie dokie. Um, uh, I'm on Facebook at Giovanna Rampazzo. I'm the only one in Dublin. <laughs> Alex? I run a podcast called When Irish Eyes Are Watching about Irish films. And yeah, always glad for new listeners. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd at Pixie Grace. Twitter at Baron Ronan. Uh, also Twitter at Jayquat. We should also mention that these three guests also have their own podcasts as well. We do. We do show we? up all do too do? regularly <laughs> on the Scan On podcast. Yeah. Uh, I am at Mr. Cynical, that's Cynical with an I on Twitter, and you can also follow me on filmandum.ie. And if you really have no regard for your free time, you can look up my old blog, which was also called Mr. Cynical, where I reviewed several of the films on the bottom 100. <laughs> <laughs> you were a champion. <laughs> that is and, not the word I would yes. And yourself, Jack? Um, I run a meme page, and it's called Memes Thanks for <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> well, awesome. if you type into Facebook, you'll find it. It's Perfect. It's the only news thanks. <laughs> All right, cheers. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be talking about a movie on the top 250, Double Indemnity, with the Movie Palace. Mm-hmm. Hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, and that in mind, guys, take it easy, and we will see you all next year. Bye. 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 Bye.